0: Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch, and this is a podcast of conversations with doctors, developers, and decision makers that are playing in the Australian health tech scene today. With me today are two very iconic and extremely down-to-earth players in the Australian Practice Management System game. I'm talking about none other than Frank and Lorraine Pyfinch of Best Practice Software. Dr. Frank Pyfinch is not only founder of Best Practice. But he's also originally the founder of Medical Director, the number one and two practice management systems for Australian GPs today. And they both have been for many years. Dr. Frank Pyfinch is CEO of Best Practice and he brings with him a long and proud history of working as a busy GP and Lorraine as a registered nurse. So together they understand firsthand the challenges and needs of the medical community when it comes to software and technology best practice have dominated the market for a long time as their first choice for GPs around Australia when it comes to selecting a PMS. And I look forward to finding out why in my conversation with both of you, Frank and Lorraine, how are you doing? Hi. Very well. Good, <laughs> good. good. Uh, this is a first for me. I'm actually recording from your office. Uh, so i taken it out on the road, which is great. But I, I originally thought I was going to go to Bundaberg, but you've got a few offices, I see. We, we moved
1: from Bundaberg about five years ago and uh, came to Brisbane because our two children had come down for university and getting them to go back to Bundaberg was quite difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so every birthday and Christmas it was down to Brisbane. And after a couple of years we decided we might as well just move here. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, excellent. Came down. The main
2: office is still in Bundaberg, so we've got about 65 staff working there. Mm-hmm. We've got um, four offices all all up, so we've got one here in Brisbane with just over 40 wow. um, staff and Another nine down in Sydney. And then over in New Zealand, we've got more than 40 in Hamilton in the North Island.
0: So I always used to say that Bundaberg was the health tech capital <laughs> of Australia, or well, the Silicon Valley of Australian health tech, but, you know...
1: It <laughs> was certainly yeah, yeah. in the 90s uh, when Paul was still living there and wrote Genie. Yep.
2: So we have a funny story about Paul because, you see, I clearly remember the night Paul came round to our house after Frank had first started to show off the original medical director. <laughs> and I remember them sitting in the study and I can hear Paul going, oh wow, that's really good, Frank. And then he asked Frank the fatal question, does it run on a Mac? And Frank said, no, I hate Macs. <laughs> and so Paul went, Yaha, I'm gonna write There's, an, <laughs> medical, there's an opportunity. Director, medical director for a Mac.
0: <laughs> As I sit here, I look sponsored by Mac sitting in front of you. Hey, look, there's, so there's a lot that we can cover off. Obvious question. You guys have a lot of history in in this space. So where do you start? How did this all start?
1: It really started in the late 80s when Lorraine was doing a Bachelor of Health Science at um, Central Queensland Uni. And so we had to buy a computer for her to do her course. And I got interested in it and started using it for little database projects at home, like courting the rainfall every day and courting what bottles of wine we had in the (laughs) cupboard. and Important things. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And around about the same time, in about 1989, the Queensland Government changed the Poisons Act to allow prescriptions to be typewritten uh, as opposed to handwritten. And, of course, typewritten also included computer-generated. And so I thought, this is really um, neat because I had something like 25 patients in a local nursing home. And almost every week I'd get um, a list of prescription requests for them and I could sometimes sit for an hour after I'd finished at 6 o'clock at night writing out prescriptions for the nursing home. And I thought if I could put all these patients' names into a Mm. computer, into a database... Mm. And then put their drugs in against their names, I'd be able to just go through and tag which ones I wanted to print and print them out. Yeah. And so I did that and started um, using it at work.
0: What was it? It was back in the 80s, did you say? No, it's it was early. It was, it early was about
1: 89.90 when yeah, I okay. really started. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I started using it day to day with my regular patients as well because once I'd written it and it could write scripts it didn't have to be restricted to the nursing home patients so I bought a computer and put it on my desk with a dot matrix printer and in those days we had to supply our own prescription paper which I had to get printed and so I started using it for all the patients then one of my partners started using it too and we actually networked it by putting a cable up through the ceiling and down the other side into his room and so we had a little network of two computers nice. and progressively it just grew from there and I started putting other things in. I, I got a list of PBS medications from the pharmacy next door. The, the pharmacist had written his own computer program for point of sale and so he gave me this big list of all the medications with their PBS listings mm. and so I was able to use that to create pick lists of drugs and so on and once I had that it was possible to use that data in other ways and so I put things like listing allergies and then I could cross-check between the scripts and the allergies Mm -hmm. and it it just grew and progressively we added more and more things and over the early 90s through 90 to about 92 it uh, became what was ultimately medical director the first release and how medical director really came about was that a GP in Narangba, which is just north of Brisbane, heard about the fact that I was writing computer generated scripts Mm. and he was really keen to do the same. So he contacted me and said, can I have a look at your program? So I packaged it up onto a three and a half inch floppy disk and posted it down to him and he put it on and played around with it and said, got back in touch and said, this is amazing. This is just what I've been looking for. There's nothing else like it anywhere in Australia. And he said, you should be selling it. And I thought, hmm, I'm, I'm a GP. I'm not a salesperson or a or a computer expert. It was just a hobby, really, for my own use. But we had a chat about it and decided. I went off to
2: TAFE. <coughs> I, I went to TAFE and did um, a short course on how to write a business plan because I thought we better have a business plan. They were very they were very popular back yeah. in the 90s. So <laughs> I wrote that business plan. I remember coming home to Frank one night from TAFE and saying very proudly. So I've worked out our break-even point. We have to have 200 sites to break even. Okay. And Frank said, "Oh, that's a bit ambitious, isn't it?" You know. So, that's <laughs> how, how many sites
0: do you have now? 4,600.
2: 4, 4, yeah, yeah right. four okay. and a half thousand. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, me- medical director was interesting because even the name we we came up with the name. I I like to say I name, the babies in the family, but <laughs> <laughs> um, we came up with the name because at the time there were a lot of really gimmicky names. You know. Meddy and many There's a Ready lot of names now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we thought – I was actually flicking through a, a an Ausdoc magazine and got to the classifieds back and um, they had uh, all these ads for – looking for a medical director and I was reading the attributes of what a medical director was yeah. and I thought yeah that's actually something you know responsible you know in charge you know reliable all those yeah. sorts of things so I thought well that's, that's the kind of that's the kind of image we thought mm, you know mm. something that helps the practice and you know to make it more efficient just even handwriting you know because there were a lot of concerns about medication errors and just being able to have a typewritten yeah. prescription. Um just removed any ambiguity over what a handwritten script might have might have um, seemed to whoever was dispensing. Um, so that's sort of where it started. Yeah. The, the logo, the M D logo, I was sitting in the back of the car with the Kids Etcher sketch when we were coming <laughs> back from holidays in Mackay and came up with the M D, the original M D. Nice. they don't use that don't anymore. We've <laughs> yeah, okay. still got the name though.
1: So we started selling it in nineteen ninety two. Yeah. And in fact we had a table at the ama 's annual computer day that they used to have back in those days, and uh, we were in a corner with a table, and we had a printer, and we were actually printing scripts on um, fake s- sample wow. script paper and We sold the first one on the day at, at the at the trade display and that was september ninety two <laughs> and basically, it just took off from there and by I think ninety four we had passed our two hundred mm. site limit. to to break even. And I had to take increasingly longer periods of time away from the practice. And so I ended up in about 94 or 95 we teamed up with some advertising people down in in sydney and we that's when we started putting the ads into medical director which subsidized the program quite heavily it was never free people keep telling me that we used to give it away free but we never actually did um but it was heavily subsidized by the advertising and over the period through 95 to 99 we built up to about 1500 sites i think it was and at that time we sold the the business to health communication network and we worked there for four years but during that time I didn't do any general practice and by the end of that time I thought we were starting to lose touch with the cull face and at the same time we thought the product was being pushed in directions that we didn't really see it and um, we didn't want to see it going in that it was being used as a cash cow with Mm. increasing amounts of advertising and more intrusive advertising.
2: When it was our Um, business, I mean, Frank used to have pretty tight editorial control over where and how many ads appeared. And so it was more of an exclusive spot that the pharmaceuticals ing for. And we disagreed with, I think, the way that you know, uh, that seemed to be a lucrative you know, revenue stream for, for the business, and uh, we, we didn't
0: agree with what yeah. they were doing there. Well, I mean, you obviously can't do that at all now. No, so, no, yeah. no, no,
2: yeah. no. I mean, long. It,
1: it went from being the customers being the doctors to the customers being the drug companies, mm. yeah. which mm. was not what we wanted to Big see. Shift, yeah. So in 2003, we both left and um, had a year to sit out the exclusion period yep. from my contract. And during that time I went back to general practice twelve hours a week in Bundaberg <laughs> and we decided during that period that there was still room for someone to come in and produce a product targeting doctors that had no advertising in it. And so that was why we started working on BP. And
2: by then our old product medical director had was the market dominant. Eighty yeah. five
1: percent market share wow. at that
2: time. Yeah. yeah. So it was it, it had gone in that space of less than ten years. From probably less than five percent of doctors using computers in their surgery to being the norm mm. um, for the vast majority. So I mean ultimately patient safety just by, by the fact that, you know, prescriptions were legible, you know, had improved remarkably in that time.
1: And I mean we'd added so much allergy checking, interaction checking, yeah. disease interaction checking. So yeah. there was a lot of patient safety sort of Features built into the product, and it actually reached a point where, at one point, the medical defence people were saying that if you weren't using a computer for prescribing, mm. then you probably weren't practicing to the standard that is expected at yeah. the time. Uh-huh. And so, if you had a misadventure due to a handwritten script, you would probably lose the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> if if okay. something happened,
2: and that, that was always a. a you know, I suppose we look back on it now. There were no standards for software mm. in Australia at that time. There really aren't now. You mm. know, it, we Frank created the, you know, standard, I suppose, set yeah. the bar. If if there had been standards and, you know, in place, it might have actually been more difficult to do what we do, mm. you know, mm. because, yeah, you know, you look at some of the government-mandated work and you sort of think, well, we probably wouldn't have designed it like that.
1: Well, it was very much designed by a clinician and that's why it you know i think took off because the workflows were very intuitive and very natural to the to the clinicians you know once they started using it it, it really proved their efficiency improved their note taking improved patient safety there was all positives
0: it sounds very much designed to solve a problem rather than designed to show off some fancy tech yeah that's right very, it, yeah. it was
1: very much from a user and that's why when i wasn't working in general practice at the, during the HCN period, yeah. we um, I started to feel that it was losing some of its relevance mm. because it wasn't keeping pace with what clinicians were mm. using. Mm. And so while we lived in Bundaberg, I always worked 10 hours a week. I dropped back to, but I did that for 10 years yeah. until we left in 2005. Team.
0: So, so you know, you, you've built it up to to what it is today, and you're, there's a lot of people walking around in this in this office, and you've got other offices as well. No doubt, you've paved the way and kind of set the the pace for a lot of people. But you've also had to keep up with with industry and everything that's happening around it, and user needs, and, and just general advancements in technology. It's a very big question for people with such a you know vast experience. But what would you say, like some of the biggest things that have changed in that in that time period from when you first created the thing and then to when i first
1: created it we were using a text mode dos (laughs) interface where everything basically was done by typing there was no mouse there was Mm. none of the sort of touch screens or any of the voice activated that you, you didn't say, hey Siri, give days. us a screen. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't do that back in 1990. Um, and so we've seen it move from that to Windows to becoming a graphical user interface. Mm. We've seen the introduction of tablets and touchscreens and all the rest of it. We've seen much bigger emphasis on communication, which is something that's still evolving mm. with secure messaging and that sort of stuff. Now we're seeing the move to the cloud, mm. which is why we have so many people in in this <laughs> office. Is that we're redeveloping, obviously, for the cloud. It has a whole raft of, of issues that you didn't didn't have when you had an office based solution, and the security is obviously a major issue. And so we've got quite highly paid people <laughs> working yeah. on the design and the architecture to make sure that we get it right. In the old days, I did a lot of the programming. I still do some, but only on the legacy product because oh. I don't understand the new technologies well enough to mm. know that you know we'd be doing the best job possible I don't
0: think you'd do any programming at all nowadays so <laughs> for sure. I, I enjoy it. I love it I like s-
1: that's why I started doing that's it in the first place was because yeah. I really enjoyed it yeah so yeah so I still do a bit of work on it I do a few special projects I do a bit of decision support work along with okay. some of the pathology labs so yeah I like to keep working on the actual program but mm. I'm not doing any work on the cloud version yeah, it's all Young guys who have much sharper brains than I do. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: look, we'll we'll get into cloud in a bit too because I want to cover off a little bit on that. But just back to the needs of the customers, being the the doctors, the clinicians, general practice. Like today, what do you think are the the, the big things that GPS? need a hand with or are the biggest challenges that they're facing or, or just just generally the environment in which we're in, which is creating challenges for them and, and how you can solve
2: it. I think there's certainly been a shift towards more corporatised medicine. So there's a lot of um, doctors that are working as employees of contractors to, mm. to the surgery. We certainly started in an environment when most practitioners owned their own surgery or were in a group practice. So there's changes along there. So a lot of them aren't decision makers anymore. So you know there's a different set of needs for uh, non-practitioner owners. Certainly, there's been there, there's financial issues in medicine these days. I mean, for a long time, there was no increase in Medicare rebates, which meant that for a good number of years, the income that doctors could generate was limited. Mm. Those challenges, I think, are always there. There's aging of Doctors. We're seeing, Increasing
1: chronic disease.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, managing chronic disease is another thing that there's more emphasis on. It'll be interesting to see uh, how PHNs go with that. There's still a lot of question marks around data security and. Is that
0: a link to the QIP? Is that what we're doing?
1: QIPIP, yeah.
0: yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, a lot of it, it hasn't been clearly articulated, mm. so, you know, we're still, it's a bit of a work in progress.
1: Mm. I mean, so. government often come up with brain um, waves? waves that, <laughs> that <laughs> aren't yeah, <specific> else? <laughs> that aren't very clearly thought out and, and we've seen it with the QI PIP where yeah. they're using the PHNs to collect the data yeah. so there's a lot of not distrust of the PHNs but not all GPs are, are willing to give the PHNs the mm. data yeah. whereas they'd be more um, inclined to upload it to a central yeah. repository that was directly managed, say, by the Department of Health or yeah. or someone like that.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, the funding model and Medicare and, and everything around that space, is there any thoughts you've got around, you know, any progressions that have been made, particularly around technology? There's a lot of people that have thoughts on how Medicare's supporting the changing needs of patients or clinicians or the way that healthcare is delivered, is that impacting you in
1: any way? Medicare itself is really just an insurance organisation. So the claiming that we have automated within best practice as best we can is all done through a little, what they call an adapter, which is quite old and it's not even, I don't think it's been upgraded for four or five years now. So they're not terribly forward- moving (laughs) yeah they've been talking for some. the adapter has a lot of issues and there is we've had to do some pretty tricky programming to get the um, medicare claims to reconcile at times and it's one of our biggest support issues um, that we have from practices is wanting to know how they can um, get their medicare um, to add up between what they've claimed and what they've actually received. (laughs) And um, they've been talking for years about replacing the adapter with um, web services, which is a much more modern way of transmitting data to and from Medicare. But it hasn't happened yet. We're hoping that it will happen in time for our cloud program Mm. because we don't really want to implement the adapter in our modern program because talking to those sort of legacy products is is actually quite difficult sometimes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and trouble prone which is you know then going to cause us more support issues mm-hmm. so we'd rather that they'd move forward but they've been very slow so then they're, they're not medicare are not pushing anything really they're, mm-hmm. they're very reactive
0: what about dare i say my health record <laughs> i think i've got to a point in this podcast where i haven't asked one question about my health record but i'm going to ask you guys about my health record and whether it's your take on it or what's needed to increase uptake of it or or how that's kind of working what kind of thoughts have you got around that space
1: i personally as a clinician was quite keen on the concept of my health record because Mm. you can the original cases involved issues where people were away from home on holiday or whatever and Mm. got sick and their full record would be available to a clinician at, at that location or if people were Admitted to hospital and unable to give a history, if they were unconscious after a car accident, that sort of thing, the hospitals would be able to look it up. So I mean, there's lots of good that a clinician could yeah. see in it, but the implementation has probably let it down. When they did the what's it, Royce
2: review, Royal review,
1: Royal <coughs> review, Royal, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah about review. four about years yeah. ago now mm. after the. After it had been released for about a year and the uptake was very slow, he um, was commissioned to basically write a report saying why was this the case and what could be done to turn it around, and that's when they renamed it from PCEHR to My Health Record, <laughs> and I'm sure that was going to make a big difference. Yeah. But as part of his report, he interviewed a lot of people who were involved with it, including us, and... We gave him some suggestions for increasing uptake and our biggest suggestion was that the GPs get paid an extra item number for curating the online health record because it does take a couple of minutes at the end of a consultation to check that the health summary shared health summary is up to date and accurate and then to upload it and if you see 40 patients a day and you put an extra two minutes onto every consultation Mm. that's 80 minutes a day of unpaid work and at the time the health minister who I think was Nicola Roxon said um, that well it might push a level b consultation to a level c and that was fine if that happened but in most consultation It doesn't. If you've got a 10-minute consultation and you add two minutes, you don't go from a B to a C, you stay a B. So Mm. essentially GPs were being asked to do work that they weren't going to be paid for and in the current climate and then the climate at that time no one had time to do extra work and the GP is the person who actually has least to benefit from the my health record because they have all the data in their desktop system already so curating it and uploading it is of no real value to them personally so it's good for hospitals it's good for paramedics it's good for occasional visiting GPs you know if you're visiting somewhere else but for your own regular GP that data is already on her his system so being on the my health record is of no great value Mm -hmm. so i think you know they're not going to get uptake until they can sort that out basically but i mean it was also flawed in the sense that it was a very document-based architecture that they used so everything that gets uploaded is a like a pdf basically and that gives it no flexibility you can't do anything really clever with the data all you can do is just look at the documents you can't graph data pathology results go up and they can't you can't use that atomized data that you can do with the ones that come into your local system Mm. Um, so it's it's not as flexible or as useful as it probably could have been Mm. and they recognize that and they're in the process of redesigning it Mm. But we'll wait and see what they come up with.
2: I mean, it's always an ongoing challenge with government dealing with new programs and things like that. Often, the people that are making these announcements, you know, there's been no design behind it. It makes it really difficult um, from a developer's point of view to actually understand what they're trying to achieve mm. and how they're going to get there. And often, you know, there's very little input into into those specs. So, from an industry point of view, I know MSIA spends a lot of time trying to trying to encourage more discussion with um, with developers. But, I mean, we all, we also see from a patient's point of view with regard to My Health Record, we think that, for example, our app that we're releasing uh, in the next couple of months, Best Health, you know, that gives the patient a copy of their health summary all of the key things that they would need to know so if they are on holiday and need to see a doctor they've got it there anyway mm. so it's probably more convenient in that format doesn't
1: help if you're unconscious after a car accident True. no because you've got <laughs> to be able to get into your phone <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your phone's probably lost in the crash and the, um even if it wasn't no one knows your you pin number so. oh
0: no you store it with the patient It would be on your own thing yeah, you? yeah. yeah yeah um no, well that's 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 interesting. But what about partners? There's all these other vendors that focus on a very niche kind of area and you guys are the the central hub for information. Everyone wants to play with you, I guess, yeah. um, because that's that's how they engage with their target market, and also hopefully leverage some of the information there to just ultimately improve yeah. patient outcomes. You, you, you've had a bit of a ramp up in the or at least a, a, I've seen you know, work on your partner
1: network and, yeah. and focus
0: on that. So it seems like it's a big interest
1: for you right now. It's it's complicated. We, we've got something like three hundred or four hundred plus yeah. people who want to interface to us one way or another yeah. or, or have yeah. or, or um, want to and that's that was becoming unmanageable for a start but then also some of the people who already were interfacing to us were doing things in a slightly less than perfect way i'll say that's <laughs> very <laughs> and, dramatic. And yep. yeah so as part of the partner network we've given a more controlled access to them so that they don't need to be in a sense hacking the database Mm. for their own purposes will give them controlled access to what they need and keep them away from what they don't need because if you've got an online appointment booking system you don't really need to be reading any clinical data at all and um, so the partner program tightened up and standardized things so that it was all much more secure because obviously patient privacy and and the Privacy Act has changed and there's mandatory data breach notification and stuff has all become real in the last five years or so and so we had to make the program keep up with that and as part of that the um, tightening up of the security layer that we've underdone in the last couple of releases was necessary
2: yeah, okay. okay. I mean we've we've always been open to engaging with people who have niche products that we don't do i mean we stick to our knitting we don't think we can be all things to all practices i mean that's the interesting thing about general practice they're so diverse Mm. um, and their needs are all very different the way they run their businesses is all very different so you can't be all things to all people all of the time she saying so we don't object to that at all but we have to we have to be very confident that we know exactly what those third parties are doing what and why how mm, mm. because we are allowing them to access that infa- well not us but the practice does and we've got to do whatever right. we can as a vendor to make sure that our customers um, don't get themselves into any mm. um, tricky situations so the more you can protect the customer from making a mistake the better yeah okay
1: mm. i mean it's a hard balance in some ways we have always looked at that the data belong to the practice so we've always given them the ability to access it and allow third parties to access it but some of the third parties have sort of taken advantage of that to do things that would never really um, intended and the and the practice hasn't always known what was being done with mm. the mm. with the data. So as part of our practice partner programme, we now have a contract where they have to agree not to use any data for purposes other than what oh, yeah. other than what they has been got signed up for. So And um, I mean that's a small protection that yeah. it's just a yeah. signing a document <laughs> but at least we've got something in place, whereas before we had nothing. Mm. And so, as I say, it's a difficult balance between giving people access to data and not giving them too much access. Yes, to
0: find that right balance. Mm. So I surprisingly get asked a fair bit from... Vendors that might have been developing something on how they can integrate with more practice management systems, or can integrate better, is there? I can put some contact details of the the partnership program for best practice in the show notes, if that's that uh, would be good easiest way. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, easy.
2: I'm I'm surprised they haven't already spoken to us. So.
0: <laughs> I think sometimes it's, you know, that you get lost in the way and how to do yeah, it or you it's sort to of, others that have It's sort it. of
2: funny, you know, you hear all these buzzwords, connectivity and secure messaging and all that sort of stuff. I mean, we look back and over the last, you know, 25 plus years, we've been involved in every single trial for discharge summaries from hospitals for example and a lot of those trials were great they were so successful but they never proceeded the ecosystem for health is quite complex Mm. and unless if you're talking about connectivity unless you get a lot of them are big overseas vendors that have hospital systems and and system administrators within the health department themselves unless there's a will there Mm. to proceed with that kind of thing it makes it very difficult and yet there's so much money spent in the public health system, tertiary care, when in actual fact most of the interaction um, on a day-to-day basis is in general practice. I mean,
1: state-based public hospitals seem to forget that general practice exists, (laughs) basically.
0: Yeah, okay. Mm.
2: Well, it's not their remit, but, you
1: know. It's not. I mean, it's the sort of crazy idea we have of having a federal health system that runs primary care and then a state based yeah. system that runs tertiary care and it's different in every state they use different software different systems yeah, yeah. sometimes in the past even between hospitals in one state yeah. they've used different systems and yeah. although that's gradually becoming less yeah. of an issue yeah.
2: Yeah. i mean we like to we we like it when there's a national approach mm. and they do it once and everyone uses the same I mean, unfortunately we we're <laughs>
1: facing the safe script thing yeah. for the real-time prescription monitoring where oh, okay. every state seems to be going to go its own way and use a different <laughs> method for for tracking real-time prescriptions
0: it's make things easy for you it doesn't well, make it doesn't. things easy <laughs> at all
1: <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's just typical of the way governments seem to run in this country. Yeah. Mm.
2: Mm. Uh, it's really inefficient from that point of view. I, I look back in the mid-90s, two of the largest pathology companies in Queensland, so we had Sullivan Nicolades and QML, which is Queensland Medical mm. Laboratory, they were really strong competitors and there was a big divide between them, but they both got together and stumped up some cash mm. and contacted the PMS software vendors around at the time, including us at Medical Director, and mm. said we're going to do pathology results and also we're going to standardise the way that requests are made and so they came up to their credit with the same format of the form Mm. and then whenever any other lab from any other uh, other state would contact us we'd say there's the format for the form you've got to use that and so suddenly pathology we're all using the same format Mm. and it was so simple you know whereas radiology is all over the shop Mm. because they all still have their own
1: Particularly in the mm. early 90s, there yeah. were too many. The, most radiology practices were just sub double digit numbers of radiologists mm. and they didn't have the That's big right. conglomerates, whereas the PATH labs have always been quite large mm. and mm. therefore, and, and there's not so many of them. Yeah. And so it's easier to, to get them to come to some agreement.
2: So I suppose after all this experience in the industry, our advice is do it once. do it it well (laughs) (laughs) sadly it's not happening though and as I say the
1: real-time prescription monitoring is looking like being a bit of a nightmare and
2: and also PHNs you know they're all wanting data but they're all ultimately collecting the same sort of data for the um, federal government it'd be terrible if all they all decided they wanted it in a different format it's going to make the life of all the software vendors really difficult sure, yeah. you know where, where it's the same information really mm-hmm. we'd rather I've seen just,
1: a bit of that in New Zealand with yeah. their PHOs collecting data yeah. um, even though they're all collecting the, the same, same stuff data you know? but yeah. they all have different, different formats ways. and yeah. different ways of transmitting it and,
2: yeah. and the overhead from our point of view is, is quite costly so yeah. you know you, you don't want to do that there's no need to do that
0: you were talking earlier about government institutions and and associations, looking at the ADHA, the Australian Digital Health Agency, and putting it around the other way, what what are things that practice management systems can be doing to be helping the ADHA in their big quest for
1: (laughs) the big buzzword interoperability? They have made some some strides towards that, especially in the last couple of years. Mm. And I know Tim Kelsey has made secure messaging one of his priorities. And we have been involved in the trials that they did one or two years ago which have resulted now in a further round of funding for all of the vendors to um, implement the new work mm. and so there is progress being made I guess my thought though is is secure messaging really the best way to be doing it and should we be looking to something like the prescription exchanges where they use web services to put documents into a central repository which then can be accessed by different people, so mm. say so a referral to a specialist rather than going point-to-point point with yes. secure messaging mm-hmm. could be sent centrally and then downloaded by the specialist mm. or by one of a group of specialists that the patient decides is the one that yes. they want to go to. Yeah, I mean, secure messaging is coming, but whether it's what we really want, mm. I'm not entirely certain.
2: The directory has always been the sticking point because there, were, there, there was no national directory um, mm. to make every sure every
1: secure messaging company had its own directory. Yes of mm. course. And they didn't communicate. Makes it hard. Yeah. yeah. Makes it hard to, to connect, which is the whole point. So um,
0: <laughs> that's
2: well that's there's work being you know done now to that's make true. that a federated one. That's good. So.
0: That's good. Look lastly to to, to wrap things up. Um, looking at what you guys are working on, because the, there's a lot of people out there working at, at the best practice office here on your new thing coming up, and I'm glad that you mentioned cloud before because Titanium's been on your website for a long time. It's um, been and there's been a lot of talk under
1: about Titanium. construction for a long time. <laughs> so, I mean, so
0: it's an interesting looking at cloud in practice management land. It's is that a deliberate strategy from you guys of kind of seeing how things layout or understanding what the 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 market needs or is it just about building like the right thing i think
1: there are a couple of things one is that when we started the titanium project we weren't really designing it for the cloud we were designing it as a web application Mm. but not specifically as a cloud application Mm -hmm. and so about two years into the project we kind of changed direction a bit and, and as I said, the security and the, the sort of concerns in the cloud are quite different to what we were originally mm-hmm. doing. So it changed direction halfway through. But the other issue that's holding it back a bit is the sheer amount of work that needs to be done to be able to fully replace best practice. Yeah, It's a really rich functional piece of software, which has taken ultimately nearly 30 years to get to where it is. If you count the medical director's time as being a sort of precursor. Uh, uh, First run. Yeah, right. (laughs) go. So just getting that functionality takes time and unfortunately practices in different ways use every bit of functionality that we've given them because we've put it in there for a purpose. Yeah. And we've seen that a practice needs this or that, and so we've put it in, and we can't take it away from them. So, mm. getting to that level of richness where we can actually move people from BP Premier to Titanium mm. is just taking a long time. We also, in a way, got distracted a bit when we took over the Houston business and took over VIP.net and ultimately bought BP Allied which used to be called My Practice, because there was a lot of catch-up work that needed to be done on those products Mm. to get them to our level of quality. And we've done that, we've achieved that, but that did divert resources for a couple of years into work that we hadn't originally anticipated doing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, sure, we gained some resources when we took over Houston, but it was a bit of a diversion for a time. Ultimately, those products are all going to be replaced by titanium. So we have to include New Zealand. We have to include Allied all into the titanium work, um, load, which again adds time. So it's, it's just slow.
0: So that, that'll, that'll cover Trans-Tasman, uh, like across Trans- Australia. Trans-Tasman, yeah. Trans- yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> over, yeah over, over the Dutch. Yeah. Um,
1: that's right. I mean, yeah. That's, we,
0: pretty, that's a valiant effort in itself, just covering two.
1: Our aim is ultimately to only have one product, Yeah. Right. but through configuration and preferences mm. and whatnot, we can make it appeal to GPs, allied health specialists. And we do see that some of the allied health May need a lot less functionality than the GP practices use, so oh. it may be that we actually release a sort of titanium for allied health before we release titanium yeah. for GPs. Mm. Titanium, and we probably Light. won't call it that. But <laughs> <coughs>
0: <laughs> but we get you. Um, no, that, that I mean that's a valiant effort in itself just to be able to do to cover all of those needs. It's it it, it can stretch you you know many kilometers wide and you only get it, you know, a couple of centimeters deep in, in covering all the needs of not just GPS, which like you say, thirty years of of, of expertise. That's 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 why you are where you are. Um, but to build it again from scratch and then include specialist and, and allied. It is the it's country. a lot of work. Yeah.
1: And the other issue is that. During the time that we're working on it, mm. we still have to maintain the existing products because they people are using them. Things are changing. how mm. asking for work to be done on secure messaging and mm. so on, and, and we can't stop doing that. Okay. And so BP Premier is getting richer, and Titanium is the workload is getting bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> with every passing day. So mm. that is also a bit of an issue.
0: Amazing! Mm. Amazing. Well, look, I, I'm not going to keep you too much longer from all of that work that does need to be done before we bail. Are there any par- uh, parting thoughts or any kind of final final things that we didn't cover off?
1: Um, we didn't talk much about
0: the app. I don't know if… Um, you tell me more about the… Because uh, you've got a patient app that is being
1: worked on?
2: Uh, it's actually… It's actually
1: been the out for three or four months in a small number of sites okay. for sort of user testing mm-hmm. and it's proven to be quite popular. Mm-hmm. in those sites. So we're actually looking at a full launch in October. The first release of the app includes, it, it's it's all about communication between the practice and the patient. Mm. Um, we see that as being a bit of a future direction and that practices and patients will um, be more easily able to communicate. So the way we've designed it, for example, um, when a GP checks a result, they can directly from the checking results screen from the inbox they can send a message to the app Mm. which goes securely and the patient will get a notification on their phone Mm. but they will have to have their pin numbers and whatnot to get in and read the message so it's much more secure than sms Mm. and so we'd be using it for appointment reminders we can use it for actual reminders for things like cervical screening and whatnot we can use it to inform people of their results we can use it to send documents and in particular health like uh, fact sheets fact sheets patient education material appointment reminders ultimately though we're aiming to do things like prescription ordering so repeat prescriptions yes um, requests for specialist referrals if they're the sort of ones that you know people don't really need to be yeah. seen yeah. if it's a routine annual ophthalmology review or yeah. something yeah. and it'll be optional for practices as to how far they take those things but it gives them the the option so, so it's another option in yeah. communicating i mean people don't want to send letters anymore because right. it's way more expensive than sending an sms of course. and the Patient app: the communications costs from it will be much less than even SMS. Yes. Yes. So it's giving practices a better way of of doing things and a more secure way. And
0: mm, mm. are practices asking for an app? Because there's a few apps out that that do, I guess, a similar thing on the surface of what you've described of a, of an app. They so do. We
1: think this kind of rolls it all into one. Yes. Easy app i mean ultimately it will well it will allow you to make your online appointment through the yeah. practices online appointment system Got it. yeah. um it, it'll be a kind of you get a message from the gp to say i want to talk to you about your results mm. you can immediately on the same app make your appointment yeah. and then you get the reminder come into your app a day later or whenever the Makes appointment's sense. due. Yeah. You can check in at the front desk, if, again, mm-hmm. if, if the practice don't want everyone to be physically seen mm-hmm. by the receptionist. mean some practices insist on that. So there are others that use check-in kiosks. Mm. So this will re- essentially replace a check-in kiosk because <gasps> you can use it, the app to check in.
2: The other thing, it doesn't restrict patients from seeing more than one practice and the reality is is that you know a lot of people don't always have you know they might have a, a family GP but they might also use a you know bulk billing clinic when they go and get a sick certificate yeah. or something like that so right.
1: well some people have one in town f- yeah. for near work of course yep. and then one yeah. out at yeah, home, near home.
2: Exactly. so so if they're using if those surgeries are using best practice then Theoretically, um, the, the patient will be able to register it both but nominate one as their main one mm. but then they'll consolidate anything that's been, you know, if, yeah. if they've been diagnosed with something at one, it'll actually update their app. Yeah, okay. And know.
1: ultimately when Titanium finally makes it out into the real world, you could have your physio and your um, yeah. podiatrist on the one. can all be in the one app so yeah. you don't need an app for the physio and an app for the... Mm. Um, ophthalmologist and yeah. two apps for the general practices yes which was originally when we were discussing the the app that was an option was for us to sort of white label it so that the practice could put its own logo on the mm. front and mm. every practice could have an app that interfaced. but when we thought about it and how people might use it it made more sense to have just one app with our branding on it yeah. and um, uh, allow that to have multiple surgeries to connect and that'll be a bit of a sure. shift
0: for you too because if if it's going to be something that's that's patient facing with your branding on it that's yeah. that's new for you guys too, it's new right? for
1: us it yeah. potentially I mean we've discussed at length the issues of supporting patients because yeah. in the past we've only ever provided support to um, practices yeah. and users so the implications of having potentially 12 million people um, <laughs> using the app well, that won't happen but even one million it's it, it, if they have a minor problem it's a lot of support sure. so yeah. that's why we did a sort of restricted release before mm-hmm. doing the full release mm-hmm. um, to try and make certain that there's no issues that are going to come back and become a unmanageable problem Mm -hmm. and at the moment it's looking good so we're happy to release it in august uh, october sorry in october
0: so much happening a lot of new innovations a lot of history there too so much to to digest i'll put some links and some information in the show notes of the podcast frank and lorraine thank you so much for your time thank you thank you Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Go do some stuff on our socials and website, share it with some people, and give us a nice review and a five-star rating because it all helps to spread the word and get people talking. Until next time, I'm out of here.
2: So I suppose after all this experience in the industry, our advice is do it once, <laughs> do it, it right. well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, yeah. it's not
1: happening though. And no, as I say, the no. real-time prescription monitoring is looking like being a bit of a nightmare. Oh. And
2: And also PHNs. You know, they're all wanting data, but they're all ultimately collecting the same sort of data for the um, federal government. It'd be terrible if all they all decided they wanted it in a different format. It's going to make the life of all the software vendors really difficult. Sure, yeah, you know, where, where it's the same information really. Mm-hmm.